Hey, my name is Mark Robertson and I am a North County mortgage guy. And today I'm here with Kelly Cardenas, who's a friend of our family, uh, our work family that is. Uh, we're super happy to be here. He's a world-renowned speaker. He's an icon in the hair industry uh, and he, he writes a mean book. If you guys have not read The Six Indicators, you need to pick it up. It was super fun, very easy to read and very poignant messages. Uh, Kelly, thanks for being here, man. Thank you, I appreciate you. So, hey, tell us where you are right now and what's going on. Most people don't know, but the, the actual name of our business is, uh, is R-U-K, which stands for Rich Uncle Kelly. And so that's the company that owns all of the salons. Mm -hmm. So I started it because I never had a rich uncle. I always wanted a rich uncle. <laughs> and because rich uncles just give you stuff, like I had friends with rich uncles. <laughs> And they'd just give people, they'd give the kids stuff and you'd never have to pay it back. So I, when, I first got, when I first got fired from my job and I created a company, I said, I want this company to be the rich uncle to my kids, grandkids, nieces, and nephews. And someday when they want something, they won't come to me as a person, they'll come to the business and the business will never give them money, but they'll give them the opportunity to be able to make the money that they want based off if they're going to be able to do the work. That's awesome, man. So Kelly Cardina Salon is the DBA that we work with, Got it. but Rich Uncle you Kelly have, is what owns it. You have six of those? No, we have four. Four. I've had seven, but okay. thanks for bringing that up because it stabs me in the heart. Oh. I'm just joking with you, Ben. Okay. Um, no, we had, we had uh, the first one was in Michigan, and then we opened in Vegas, and then um, we opened here in Carlsbad, and then San Diego, and then Salt Lake, and then uh, Hard Rock. But we closed uh, Michigan, to open Chicago. So I traded Michigan for Chicago. That was a good trade. Yep. And then we opened San Diego and I traded San Diego for the hard rock. Got so it. I consolidated San Diego and Carlsbad back together to take the hard rock. Got it. And then um, the Salt Lake location was a management company. So we, we were the first in the professional beauty industry to ever do this. Like, you know, that the Four Seasons doesn't own hotels. Mm. They just manage them. Mm. So if you own a hotel and you want to have the Four Seasons, you hire the Four Seasons in. So I was at the Four Seasons because I do research and I read the book of it, right, of the Four Seasons. And they said this concept and I, I turned to my brother, who's my attorney, and I said, wouldn't it be great if someone let me do this? He said, what? And I was like, I got it. Like, this is a concept. And so he wrote up a contract for it. And so we're the first in the professional beauty industry to be a management company. So you can own a salon 100 percent, never have to step foot in it. You just hire us as the brand, the operations. We do the hiring, firing, and all you do is get mailbox money. I feel like this is the beginning of a good thing, bro. <laughs> I'm going to force you to be my friend. That's what I do. Uh, that's I awesome. I'm a collector of people. So the more great people I can have in my life, the better <laughs> you're in. Okay. So take me back. Like, uh, this is something I didn't pick up on when I was reading your book, and that is like, where did it start for you? What was your childhood like? I, I, I read about you and Rob. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I gathered that your parents were separated, but take me back. Like, just give me a nutshell story of where you grew up and what it was like. Yeah, so I mean, they, they separated for a small amount of time, but they stayed together for the whole uh, through the whole thing. Wow. Okay. So it was like back and forth. I mean, they were separated at times, and then they come back together, and you know, so that was. But I, I'm very fortunate because for my my mom's whole life, they were. I mean, they were together. My parents were together since my mom was 13. She just died last year in June 19th. And so she was 62. So from 13 to 62, they were together for their whole life. 13 years old, they were together. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, my mom got married at 16. It means that she was from Utah. 
So, and my, my mom was like, oh, my dad was good with it. I was like, what dad is going to be good with a girl getting married at 16? But she got married in, his, in their front yard, in his wow. front yard. Yeah, it was wow. crazy. So my dad was in the military. Um, you know, so we grew up everywhere. I was born in England. We lived in Taiwan, Idaho, Utah, Florida, California, um, Memphis, Las Vegas, California, and then back to California. So um, I've pretty much lived everywhere. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, that military family, I think, was great because every two years we lived in a new residence. Yeah. So with living in a new residence and being in a new school, I always got to be the new kid. Yeah. And so being the new kid was like one of the most awesome things in the world um, because, um, you know, I like I say the girls, yeah. right? <laughs> the girls always wanted to meet the new guy. Yeah. And I didn't have to ever, you know, have a bad reputation or a good reputation. Mm-hmm. Every time I moved to a new, new residence, I got to be exactly who I wanted to be as opposed mm-hmm. to who people thought I was because I didn't come to their party. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I yeah. got to erase that part. So. And one of the things in your book was adapting quick and, and becoming like adaptable. Would you say that that, that shifting around and, and molding into those new places over and over set you up for that in your business? I think it's the number one. I mean, I think it's the, the greatest attribute ever because, I mean, we, we had so much adversity, right? So a lot of people call it adversity. We call it opportunity. So, um, you know, uh, literally every two years, two, two and a half years, we moved to a new residence. Yeah. Um, there was times where, you know, when I was in fourth grade, my dad got out of the military, like after 14 years, and no one does this. Yeah. But one day he just said, I'm out. Peace out. And we were like, well, what do you mean? And he literally had a moving truck show up to our house and we were packing and all my buddies are like, oh, because we're in the military. So everyone's moving somewhere. I said, where are you moving? And we we're like, we don't know. And so with the moving truck, it was nuts because for us, we had always been in adversity. So nothing was abnormal to us. Nothing. Right. So when the moving truck comes, this is normal for us. We don't know where we're going. We're just packing our house up. And my friend is like, where are you going? I said, I don't know. He asked me again, where are you going? I said, I don't know. He said, quit joking with me. I said, and I got mad. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And, you know, up until the point when we, um, it was maybe three days before everything was done. So our whole house is packed up. The moving truck is outside. It's taken about a week. And literally this whole time, we don't know where we're going. Well, my parents end up getting into a little bit of a fight and my mom grabs as much as close as she can with me, my brother, and my two brothers, throws us in the car, and we go into hiding. In the town, we live in a 35,000-person town, so it's hard to hide, but we go to a friend's house of hers. Me, my, my brother's in uh, eighth grade at the time, my other brother's in 10th grade, and we're literally hiding at her friend's house, and we're sleeping on the couch, and we're going to high school every day. And my brother's like the, I mean, I feel bad for my brother because he was the star. He was the varsity quarterback. Like he's the quarterback, the pitcher, the, you know, like the point guard. He's the guy. Right. And at the pinnacle of his I mean, top. Life. Yeah. And he's literally, I mean, we're sleeping on a couch at my mom's friend's house. Mm. And we're having to, she's, my mom's dropping us off at school and picking us up because she doesn't want our dad to see us anywhere my dad goes and lives with another family and we're existing in this town so again like the adversity for me was like we always just saw it as opportunity it was like you know hey um uh then we got a a one-bedroom apartment we had four or five people in it we had four people at the time and then my dad ended up coming back but four people at the time and 
you know, it was an opportunity to play baseball. So we played baseball. We got uh, a pair of socks, uh, put them together like you do a pair of yeah, socks, yeah. and had my mom sew it. And then that <laughs> became the ball. And we had one of those little tiny bats from the San Diego Padres game that my uncle had given me years ago, one of those little ones. And we played baseball, and it was an opportunity for us to have our own baseball field, which was in the one-bedroom apartment, like oh little grass area. Yeah. And we put up a scoreboard on the fence, and, we, and then we took a bike rim and knocked out all the spokes and nailed it to a piece of plywood and put it on our uh, on the side basketball of our hoop. and there's a basketball hoop so <laughs> I those it, i think those kind of things you know prepared me because i i you know when you come into adversity later like you know i'm i'm on my my wife who's awesome and i believe i was meant to be with her i was married before and i was you know i got divorced my i came home and my wife was gone my first wife was gone and you know but I believe that because I had, was raised in adversity, which my, we always looked at as opportunity, anytime anything, I got popped upside the head, like, it's kind of like this. Like, if, if you grew up fighting grown men, right? From the time you were 10, 12 years old. If a kid comes at you when you're 10, 12 years old on the playground, you're good. Not a big deal. Yep. Because I've already fought a man. And so I believe that that's what God was able to do with us is he already got us fighting men at such an early age that we knew that whatever happened in life was gonna be fine. Such a great like mental attitude. And I think, you know, the, the one vignette that I see with a lot of successful entrepreneurs is just overcoming adversity and keeping your eye on, on the prize and the, and the long game. And so I appreciate <clears throat> uh, both in your book and meeting you personally, just seeing that thread and how, how real it is, both to your personal life you shared, you know, with your, with your divorce and your business, right? Uh, and, and just overcoming that stuff. Okay, so you're, you're moving around as a young, uh, as a young child coming up, uh, military family. When is it that you first are introduced into the salon game? My dad bought dog clippers. Um, when I was in fourth grade, because he's the type of dad that um, <laughs> says, why do I need to pay somebody to do that? I can do it myself. And he's like, there is no way I'm paying for a, a dog to get this haircut. We could do it. And we turned them clippers on and we didn't know you're supposed to chain the dog up either, put it on a leash. But we had a Cocker Spaniel and we were like, it's easy. You cut it short on top and long on the bottom. Yeah. And that's a big shout to all of you groomers out there. I love you. You're the best and you need to be paid. Pay your groomer. Yeah. But we went to shave that dog and the dog just ran off. And we were like, this sucks. So we put the, uh, the clippers up underneath the, the cabinet. And then uh, probably about a, this was sixth grade. So probably seventh, eighth grade. Um, I needed a haircut and it was either get the finger thick, you know what I'm talking about? Your mom would give you the finger thick monkey haircut, look like oh, a yeah. manchichi. Yeah. And um, it was either that or uh, my brother cut my hair and he was like the coolest guy in school. And so my brother um, ends up cutting my hair and he's cutting my oldest brother because I'm the youngest. So there's me. And then, you're talking about Rob. Yeah. So okay. Rob. Yep. And then there's Guy. So Guy is standing in the back laughing while Rob's cutting. Yep. But I'm the baby, so I'm either take a haircut and get laughed at or take an ass beat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I was like, I'll take the haircut. So um, we did that. But it's funny because the one who cut my hair ended up becoming uh, a lawyer. Mm -hmm. The one who was laughing became a doctor. Wow. And I was the one who became the hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me then, how did the dog clippers turn into your, your art? 
Well, I, I never saw it, thought, saw it as art, even to this day. Like I'm a, I'm a technician. Like, you know, I, I look at things like I used to take away, the, uh, take the TV and take it apart just to see if I can put it back together. Mm. So I always work from technicality. So like my gift has always been like whatever process you have, like I could take your process, no matter what it is, and I could break it down into 12 easy steps that I could teach a four-year-old to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's been a gift. So as I went along, my art that, that came was only through the technicality so I could break it down to the lowest common denominator. And then when I taught the four-year-old to do it, it killed the ego of the person who said, it's me, it's me, it's me, because I could take a four-year-old and make them do it too. And that's what we've done in the business. So um, it really turned for me when um, my buddy Will, I went to cut, his, we were going to cut his hair. We were in a double wide mobile home. That's where we lived on the side of the freeway. True story. And my buddy said, I need a haircut. Well, he's, uh, um, he's mixed, so he's African-American and, and white. But his, his hair is African-American. Like, you wouldn't know the difference. Right. So we go to cut his hair. We don't know how to cut it. So our guard had broken on the clippers. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to getting new ones, because we couldn't afford it. Yeah. So we put duct tape on it. My brother goes to hand me, he shaves one side of his head. He goes to hand me the clippers, and the guard falls off, but I don't see it. So it's a number two on this side, and there's no guard on this side, and I run right up the side of his head. <laughs> well, when I run up the side, I'm like, oh my, because it's bald, and bald right. fades weren't in. So he had a box this way, right? So it was probably three, four inches, like kid and play. Right. But he also had, it was like a Rubik's Cube, because it was also three or four inches out this way. So it was like a box on his head. Well, when I cut it, I didn't know how to fade. So it came up, out three inches, up four inches, so it looked like a brick of cheese on top of it. <laughs> so we have a Packer fan in so, Utah, y'all. So, so we did it, and we just were like, it's this side. So we just did it all the way around. So it was this ring around his head, bald, and then this brick of cheese on top of his head. And it went home to his mom, and his mom absolutely hated me. So if you call that art, that was my first piece of art. So. All right, so take me forward from there to uh, how did you then uh, further your, how did you first get into the industry? Well, there, I remember there was a guy, his name was Gene, and, and Gene was the guy, like if you wanted to fade, you would go to Gene or this other guy named Richie Brittingham. Okay. And Richie Brittingham, you didn't want to get a fade from Richie because if you were younger... Um, how old are you right now when you're talking about Gene and Will? So uh, Will was eighth grade. So this is eighth grade, so it's probably 12, 13 years old. Um, Gene is still around the eighth grade, maybe ninth grade year. Yeah, eighth and, grade. And you're, these are your peers. You're like these the are same kids age. that are one year, and then Gene was like four years older than okay. me. And then Richie Brittingham was like five years older than me. Richard. Br so the reason I'm asking the yeah. question is like, do you, do you see like, hey, this is the guy you go to to get a fade, or is it just everybody knows if you're getting a fade, you go to this guy? It was kind of that, that you know and okay. you saw the stuff because he was doing like symbols and heads. But see, the bad thing about Richie Brittingham was he was one of those like, like a new age, or he was old school meathead, right? He was like the guy, like, and if you didn't have money, which none of us did, then he would make you take a, a, a slug in the chest. <laughs> so from this basically grown man to get a fade, you would have to stand and my buddy Will would do it. He would be like, it was the best fade. So he would literally stand, like he would get his fade and then he'd be like, all right, stand. And he would, you open chest, you would have to open chest and he would just drill you in the chest. And I was, I mean, there so is crazy. There like, is no way I was gonna do that. I feel like 
we grew up in similar like upbringings. I feel like to a lot of people this might seem foreign, but it seems very, very normal. It's not common in Carlsbad, baby. No, for sure it's not today. So, all right. So I didn't mean to dis- distract you, but how'd you get into the industry? So you're 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 getting fades from Will. So, well, I I, I was fading with I, I I did Will. I didn't fade him because I gave him the brick of cheese. Um, but I was I started cutting, you know, started doing it, and then I I remember Gene explaining it and I was like because everyone wanted to go to Gene and everyone wanted to go to Richie but people didn't like Richie because the punch in the chest with Gene he was nicer and Gene was like I mean he was the man with Faden mm-hmm. and this was when Color Me Bad was big oh, yeah. you know what I mean that tight tight fade oh. the thing that people are wearing nowadays yeah. like that super tight skin fade and then it's like you know and everyone's like oh this is new it's like it ain't new like they were <laughs> I want to sex you up you know what I mean <laughs> Dude, I had that CD on replay. Like, it was so rad. Dude, that thing was awesome. The, the single was the best, the yeah. cassette single. Um, but that part, so Gene, I remember Gene saying, man, what I do is I do a three guard, and then I go up to a two guard, and then I go to a one guard, and I come off every time. And it, that's when it clicked. Mm. And I was like, again, the technician part of me said, if I go a three, I go a two, I go a one, and then I go no guard. Now I got to fade, but I never knew how to do it before. Mm. And once he said that, I was like, I then wanted my fade to be better than anybody's, like when I was cutting. So, but I, so I, I was playing basketball, football, baseball, and I was cutting everyone on the school's team or their, all their hair because I was the only guy with clippers. So we had cut and run in the, in the locker room. So I cut and then we would just take off running because we would leave a pile of hair and we would clean it up. But I was the only guy with clippers, and all of us have fresh fades. So <laughs> you, the coaches know, yeah. you know. Pretty sure they knew what was up. But by the time I graduated from high school, I was, I was cutting everybody's hair. And my, my mom, I was doing it in her kitchen. And my mom was like, why don't you go to school for that? And people were like, oh, man, she must have saw something in you. I was like, nah. She just saw that I didn't clean up in her kitchen. Mm-hmm. And she wanted me out of the kitchen. So I went and looked at it, and they told me it was going to be eight hours a day, ten, uh, five days a week for 10 months. And I remember thinking, there is no way I'm going back to another year of high school. Because I'm done. Like, I'm done with high school. This is, this is you know, I'm done with it. And um, I was on the way home, and I specifically remember it. God asked me, do you, uh, what are you going to have after 10 months of going to community college? And I was like, I couldn't think of anything. I thought I'm going to have a lot of fun. And then he asked me, what are you going to have after 10 months of going to hair school? And I was like, I'll have a license. And at that point, he said, like, that's it. And then my pops had taught me growing up uh, that he would always support me 100% as long as I did um, everything to the best of my ability. I never had to compete with anybody. I never had to be better than anybody, but I just had to be the best of what I could be. And so from that point, I I knew that God was having me to do this. And so I literally went all in. I was reading magazines. And this was tough, though, because I was working at a, a garage, changing oil and working on cars. And all the guys, you know, it's like guy stuff, whatever. And here I go, started to read Glamour, Elle magazine, Cosmopolitan. And so I would, when I was waiting for my dad, I would take the Cosmopolitan, Elle, and all that thing. And I'd put it in Popular Mechanics. And I'd act like I was reading that while I was waiting for my pop. And when they would come, I would shut it because I never wanted them to know. Yeah. You know, because 27 years ago, like it was, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, oh, wow, you want to be a hairdresser? Cool. It's your your art. It's like, you want to be a hairdresser? You know, That's a beat down in my neighborhood. You know, absolutely. And especially in a 3,500 or 35,000 push town, in a military town, growing up with three brothers, you know? I mean, we were able to wear pink because, you know, you had Miami Vice, you know what I mean? (laughs) But 
You know, yeah. it was it was different. You know, it was yep. different. But I think that, and I, I don't know this to be true. I want to ask my brother Rob, but I don't believe. I, I well, I, I actually believe. I believe that he took every one of our friends aside and he said, "There's you can make fun of anything because our buddies still do to this day. I still hang out with the same guys." Yep. And they'll dog on you on anything. You got a flat head, block head, you got a big head. You, you, you know, if, you, if, if I got my leg amputated, they'd be like, yo, peg leg, they, <laughs> yes. they'd be after me. But the one thing they never touched ever was hairdressing. Hmm. And that's a pretty easy target. Yeah. But I believe my brother pulled all the friends aside and he said that one thing's off limits and they only encouraged me in it. And I believe that that's one of the biggest uh, contributions to the foundation of what I did is because I had everyone telling me I was the greatest that I could and that everything was going to be good. And that was my circle. And they insulated me. Yeah. You know? That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So then take me then, obviously, four salons now. Uh, <clears throat> you're teaching all over the world. You're speaking all over the world. Uh, how did that trajectory start? I got fired from my job which at uh, changing oil. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots here. Work with me, Kelly. No, no, no. So uh, I, got, I got into the hair industry and then four days, or I got my license in California. Four days later, okay. I moved to Memphis. Okay. I moved to Memphis and then, so I took that and, Wait. yeah. Let's unpack that. Okay. I got my license in California yeah. and four days later, I moved to Memphis. That does not make, I can't, like, what happened there? It, well, you'll realize as we get to be better and better friends, because I'm going to force you to do that, yeah. is you're going to realize that, all, that <laughs> all of the stuff is like none of it makes sense. Yeah. None of it does. So I go to hair school in California. My parents moved to Memphis because my dad was out of the military at the time. He was just doing odd jobs, and then he got a job in Memphis doing power plant construction. So my brothers are going to move to Me Memphis to have in-state tuition and go to the University of Memphis. Nice. I'm the baby in the family. So it's either stay in California, which I wasn't gonna do, I don't have any money, I didn't have a job, or go and live with my parents. So I moved across the country to Memphis. Well, I thought I was only gonna be there for a couple of months and then I was gonna come back to LA and I was gonna, you know, be this celebrity, yeah. whatever it was. Got it. That makes sense. And I get there and I'm not proud of this, but I started taking Taekwondo. Um, so I was taking Taekwondo for like three weeks and I was in. <laughs> You know what I mean? You've been so secure. Our whole conversation and Taekwondo is I'm the telling one. you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you think of Rex Kwondo, you know what I mean? Like a Zuba pants and all nine. Like I was in though for three weeks. I was all about it. I was here. I had the movements, uh, you know, this, this, that one. And so I was doing that for like three weeks and I was in and I was moving up my belts and all the stuff. And, uh, and then I was like, man, I need to get a job because I'm living, like, think about the dating game. I'm 19 years old. Yeah. I'm living at my mom's house in a bunk bed, yeah. in a bunk bed <laughs> in 19. No lie. So I'm in a bunk bed and I'm taking Taekwondo. Yeah. Like, that is not a good recipe to, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not like, yo, ladies, you know, I got my got yellow it. belt and my, you right want to stop by my house? And I got a, a bunk bed. So, yeah. don't, no, that's my brother Rob. He's cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got bottom, I got bottom bunk. Uh, but I still had top bunk at 19, man. No lie, I had got my first job in the professional beauty industry God, and I used, so get, I used to get out of my bunk bed and go and do women's hair. Oh, that's amazing. So I got, to, I got there and, and- I really want to hover on this for a long yeah, time, well, but after, let's keep going. After three weeks, I went and I got myself lost in the city because I, that's what I do when I go to a new city so I can figure out how to get home. Yep. And I saw a salon and it was, I'd never been in a salon in my whole life. 
even while I was in hair school, I'd never been in a salon, right? right? So I um, go into the salon, it's banging. It's, I mean, place is going crazy. And I was like, how do I get a job here? I just walked up to the front and I was like, how do I get a job? And they said, well, you need to talk to Danny Box. And I was like, where is he? Let me talk to him. That's a power name. That's no joke. Danny Box. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a power name right there. That's on another level. Yeah. You don't even need your middle name and your street <laughs> name on that one. Yeah. Um, but he rolls up and he's got that like, <laughs> like that dark perm. I can see it right now. Like a dark perm kind of stash. You know what I mean? Oh. And he's like, well, you need to talk to Philip Gould. And I said, so let me talk to Philip Gould. And I made an appointment with Phil Gould, and it turns out he owned 13 salons in Memphis. He was the man. I roll into his office, I swear, this was before Ron Burgundy, but it was all like mahogany oh, and leather bound books and like this huge leather chair. And I've never had a job in the professional beauty industry. I've worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken and I've changed oil in cars. So I roll in, I sit down in the chair and I don't know what got into me, but I sit down in the chair and I lay back like this and I put my leg up, I cross my leg and he, he's like, so how can I help you, sir? And I said, well, I want to be an educator. I want to be educated. I want to be a platform artist. I want to travel internationally. And if, and I want to be a uh, hairdresser behind the chair. If your company could do that for me, I think that would be amazing. But if not, sir, I'd uh, love it if you wouldn't waste my time. What? And I sat back and I was thinking he was going to shoot me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I never had a job before, but I was just thinking. And you just talked to Danny Box. He I, probably gave you gave like all that. the confidence. Yes. But I, and I don't know what got it, cause that's not my, how my dad taught me to talk to people, but I said it and then I sat back and he was like, sounds good, sounds good. We actually, uh, you know, trained one of the top international platform artists in the uh, industry. Wow. And he says the name and I'm like, I don't know any names in the industry. I've never been in the industry before. <laughs> and um, so uh, I, I go home and he calls me back and gives me a job. Well, that name that he had said, it, I, I remember it, I remember it in my head and I was like, ah, whatever. And then, you know, when I was in hair school back in California, when I was in school, uh, before I graduated, the lady said, uh, the administrator said, if you do anything in your career, follow this woman, showed me a picture of a blonde headed woman. And I went to a hair show and I saw the blonde headed woman. Well, she was working on stage with this other guy who was only talking about everybody else, talking about their stories, all these things. And I was like, man, he's the guy, like I love him. And I could tell that I connected with him, but he never talked about himself. And all he would do is talk about everybody else. And he was the guy, like he was it. So I kind of gravitated towards him. Well, when you fast forward to this part and the guy said, I want to be a platform artist, he said, we trained the best one. He said the name. I didn't know who the name was, but I went home after I got the job and I opened up American salons, like Sports Illustrated for hairdressing. So I opened up the, the YouTube of our time. You yeah. had to actually open get up periodicals on your profession or your baseball cards or whatever right 100 percent. so i look at this thing as a two-page spread and i look at it and i'm like oh wow that's a guy i've seen on stage before and then i look and it says his name and it's the name of the guy that the name that the guy said that he trained dude that and i was like so awesome. holy cow his name is robert chromians and i was like that's it like i've been following this guy anyway and this company trained this dude well come to find out he only worked for that company for two and a half weeks they took credit for him. But when I was in school, the lady said, if you do anything in your career, follow this woman, Jean Bra. Jean Bra was stage partners with Paul Mitchell. When Paul Mitchell died, she became artistic director of Paul Mitchell. Jean Bra took on a stage partner, Robert Chromines. I found Jean who was working with Robert and then I ended up working with Robert and assisting Robert. Wow. So, my mind's just blown on the uh, on the small world stuff, right? <laughs> like I love like when the world makes things happen like that. Uh, 
but I would say it's probably you manifesting it, right? <clears throat> so how do you get from Memphis to working with Robert? So I was working in Memphis and I went from, I was working at the Gould's place, just yeah. in Bartlett. Yep. One of the best stories ever. I don't know if you even have time for this, but I'm gonna yeah, make- hundred percent, yeah, now. Bartlett. Yeah, let's talk about it. So this dude rolls in, this dude rolls in and <laughs> it's like quintessential Memphis, like backwoods, right? Big, huge monster truck. Um, you know, he gets out of the truck and he's got long hair. He's like kind of Billy Ray kind of dude. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like shirt cut off yep. or whatever. He rolls in, he sits down, he sits down in my chair and he says, I want my hair number two from the top of my ear over the top of my head. I want you to leave it to my shoulders in the back. I was like, dude, no way. Like this is awful. Right. But even worse, we had just done an upgrading class right before that. So upgrading class means that a person comes out, you know, in your yeah. business, like a person comes in for say like a loan and then you're like, oh, well, this could work well. It doesn't work in my, it doesn't work in my business, but I worked at Sears Hardware. Okay, so I know so exactly what you're talking about. They talked about this and you know, it was like a perm, you're like adding a perm or adding color, or adding condition tree, whatever it was. So this guy sits down, he tells me number two over the top and then the shoulder length, like past my shoulders in the back. I'm like, ah, oh. well this dude, Paul, who works with me, we just did the upgrading class and he says, walks by and he's like, huh? And he doesn't say it to me, but he says to the dude, hey, have you ever thought about getting a perm? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? I mean, I have to cut this hair over the top, long in the back. There's only says, one thing in the world that can make it worse. And a perm. When, when, he, when he told me the two and then the, in the back, I was about to say, it won't look good on you, but he pulled out that Inspire book that you used to look at, you know, oh, yeah. the hairstyles. And there was a guy who looked just like him with that exact haircut. And I was like, I'm like, I can't say no because it looks just like the model. And then the guy says, have you ever thought about getting a perm? And I'm thinking Billy Ray is about to punch this dude. <laughs> Billy Ray turns, I had no lie. He's like, you know, I've always wanted a body wave, but I never knew if I could actually do it. I was like, oh my gosh. So I had to shave his head, number two on top, and to the shoulders in the back, and then I permed that bad boy. <laughs> And it was soft and flowing, and I was hoping he hated it, but he got done and he pre-booked because he loved it so much, and he became my client. So that, I mean, that was probably a turning point in my career because that was what we call a walk-in, right? And I don't know if you guys get this, but like a, a person who just happens upon your business. Oh, never happened to me. Okay. I never wanted to do that. I always wanted to, someone to come because they knew who, like what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that really spurred me in the business to say, I never wanted to have a person just walk in and sit with me. I wanted them to come from a, from a person, from a you know, from a source. I didn't know about business or whatever it was, but I just knew I didn't want Billy Ray walking in again and having to get the damn perm and shave his head and do all the stuff. I wanted to work on what I wanted to work on. Right. Um, so I worked at that one for like six months and then I got another uh, job at uh, uh, Estan Salon. And this Estan Salon, I started with four guests um, with no walk-in business at all and four guests within 16 months. I went from four guests to uh, eight weeks solid booked on the 45 minute mark with a, 80, or with a 45 person waiting list. So by the time I was 21 years old, and this is 1995, by the time I'm 21 years old, then I was making like 75 grand a year living in my mom's house in the top bunk. Wow. And I didn't even need, well, at that time, I mean, and my parents, like we never seen any money like this. I was making more than both my, my I was dating a girl and I was making more than both of her parents combined. I had six paychecks one time in my sock drawer 
just sitting because I didn't know what to do with them. Because yeah. there wasn't like the bling era. You weren't going out bottle service. I mean, it was like- you And you to, had zero overhead, no nothing. debt. You didn't even have a cell phone problem. Yeah, you, no. 95. You no. Have, no, no, no. Cell phone? I didn't have the Zach Morris, pager. man. I wasn't rich. You had a pager. No, I didn't have a pager, man. <laughs> I have a pager. So when I, when I had that, then I had um, followed Robert for two and a half years. So two and a half of my years of my career, I'm following Robert this whole time. Okay. Uh, I just want to make sure I understand because yeah. my brain is trying to follow you. So Memphis to this next job, is that with Robert? Are you following no, Robert No, I'm here? still in Memphis. So, so I'm so in you, Memphis. You went... So I was in Memphis making okay. 75 grand a year at 21 oh years gosh. old. So 20 you, years old. So that so the eight week solid 45 person waiting list happened in, in Memphis. Memphis. Got it. Okay. So and when I say like a 45 person waiting list, I'm saying if a client canceled within 15 minutes of their appointment, the reservationist would be on the phone calling down those 45, and those 45, one of those 45 would show up because they knew they wouldn't be able to get in for eight weeks, or, and they'd have to wait for 45 more people. So. Looking me in my eye and being honest, yeah. why, why did that happen? How did it happen? How did you create that in such a short amount of time? It stems back to um, every day since the day I was born, or that I can remember, my parents woke me up every day and told me that they, I lo they loved me, both of them. Yeah. Number two is that they always told me that I was the absolute greatest. Number three, they told me that I was proud of, uh, that they were proud of me, not because of anything else that I was doing, but because of who I was and just to be myself. So that's how I was raised every day, even to this day. Like I, I talk to my dad every day and my dad says this now to me. He says, when we get off the phone, he says, you're the greatest, so act accordingly. And I believe that that was the basis for everything. And my mom, you know, I wrote about it in the book, but seriously, my mom prayed about, prayed for me every day. Like when I was in fourth grade, my mom told me she was praying for my wife. I was like, you are crazy. <laughs> I want a wife. I'm 10, yeah. you know, but for her, I mean, she got married at 16. So maybe, ah, you know, dude. but I believe that that, that really was, and I, w I wasn't focused on bu building business. I was just honestly focused on like, I believe that when you focus on, on what your purpose to do, right. And that's what I'm purpose to do. Like, and I'm not purpose to do hair, you know, it's just hair, hair, the people like hair is the conduit for me to be able to touch people. Mm. And and God let me know that, well said, you know, that he was going to put me in a place that when I spoke, then people had to listen. And when they listened, they'd hear his voice and not my voice. Why you in, 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 that, in, that, in that moment, right? You're, yeah. You just got your license four days previous. Like, and, and now a couple, like a very short time. Yeah. And by the way, hairstylists yeah. go, right? Because it's, it's experience and you've got this waiting list. What were you doing? Like, what were your clients saying that they were coming for during that time? The real catalyst here was the complimentary stress relieve treatment. Yeah. And it came from, again, adversity that turned into opportunity. So I'm in the salon by myself, no clients. Another guest has a client, but she has a friend sitting in the front room. And the friend is sitting up there and she's hot. I'm 19 and there's only two things you think about when you're 19 making money and something else yep. and we're not going there <laughs> and she was hot and I needed to be able to talk to her so I walked up and I said my name is Kelly and while you're waiting for your friend her name is Susie Caldwell still stay in touch with her look her up on Instagram Susie Caldwell I said my name is Kelly she said my name is Susie I said uh, I would love to blow dry your hair complimentary while you wait for your friend and she said oh well what is that and I said well I do a complimentary stress relief treatment with every service and I didn't know what that was and she didn't either but I made it up <laughs> And because earlier that I'm day, trying this with my wife tonight, bro. I'm telling you, 
the earlier earlier that day there was a massage chair and I walked by it and the owner of the salon said I said what's that and he said that's a massage chair and we used to do complimentary stress relief treatments I said what's that he said we would rub the woman's back before we shampooed them and I was like okay cool so I log it in my brain and then Susie comes in later and she says that and I and she's like what's a complimentary stress relief treatment I said hold on for a second I ran in the back dusted off the massage chair got two paper towels because we didn't have the faceplate thing two paper towels and I set them on there and I brought her back and I said, this is what we do every time. And I sat her down. I didn't know how to massage, but I knew she was hot. And every time she made a sound, I did it more. So I moved her arm and she was like, oh, and I was like, yeah. And I was in like doing that thing. And I, by the end, I was just, I had my technique and I was doing it and I was just all over the place. And then I take her back to get her head shampooed and she's out by this time. She's out. She don't give a damn how I blow dry her hair, anything like that. And I get done blow drying her hair. And I said, make sure you tell all your friends that I do a complimentary stress relief treatment with every service. Well, she happened to be one of the University of Memphis Palm Squad uh, members and they were nine time national champions. Okay. So she sent, I said, send all your friends because I knew hot chicks hang with hot chicks. She sends in a girl named Michelle Tamangawa. Michelle Tamangawa is still a client of mine to this day. I read about she, her in your book. Right? Yep. So she, uh, she tells me when the practices are. And I said, when are they? She said, 12 o'clock. So I left the salon at 12 o'clock. So it took me half an hour to be able to get there. So I walked in the back door because I knew I'd interrupt the practice. I had bought 24 shirts retail from the salon of my own money, retail, walk in with the shirts and the cards, and I walked through the, um, the practice, and they stopped, they're like, who are you? And I said, thank you for asking. My name is Kelly Cardenas, and I wanted to congratulate you on being nine-time national champions, and I know you're going for your 10th straight year. And they're like, wow, wow, thank you so much. And I said, and I'm gonna be doing all of your hair, complimentary, uh, on Thursday. All you have to do is just show up. Here's my card. Here's the shirt. Sorry for interrupting practice. Have a wonderful day. Congratulations on being nine-time national champions. And then I drove back to the salon. When I got back there, I called the news station, the radio station, and told them the nine-time national champions will be here next Thursday. It would be a good story for you to be able to cover. Oh, my God. You just blew my mind. I did hair for 13 hours that day, and I did not accept a tip from any of them. They tried to tip me, but I wouldn't take anything. Didn't charge them, didn't tip. And that's how my business went. Because I was... I looked at adversity, no clients, as an opportunity, as opposed to saying, oh man, I don't got any clients, as like. No, uh, you're hustling, right? And thinking, yeah, that was you know amazing, I mean? man. Nice, and I bet that moment, I know it is, just by the way you're rattling off the names, like it's burned in your memory. It was oh, Michelle like, is still that, a friend of mine. That was the power move too, though. I mean, we could call Michelle right now, like it's, it's nuts. Like she lives in uh, New York, she works on Broadway, and she flies out to Chicago when I, she, I'm gonna see her in, uh, in two weeks. Flies from New York yeah. to Chicago just so you can do her hair. Yeah, she flies in at nine o'clock in the morning, I do her hair, and then she flies back out at two. That is creating a client experience right there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. All right, so tell me Robert Chromians now. I think that's where we're at. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, you know, I'm following Robert all this time in Memphis, right? And I'm passing out cards, all this stuff. And then I go to a convention and I see him and a guy named JC Meehan says, hey, I can get you to work with Robert, but I can't pay you but it's in Oklahoma City. So I live in uh, Memphis, Oklahoma City. It's like 10, 11 hours from there. So I get done at four o'clock in the afternoon. I just take the opportunity. Obviously, done. by you and I being yep. friends now, you understand that uh, you, you don't got to tell me twice. Yep. So I get done at four o'clock. I, I call my buddy Bear and I'm like, yo, Bear. Not Barry, but Bear. Like, rawr. Right? <laughs> so I grew up in Illinois. 
Everybody's got a friend named Bear. Really? Okay. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I, so I called Bear and I'm like, yo, you down? And, and, and he's like, yes, I'm in. So he just packs real quick. We leave by six. We travel 10 hours and that's four o'clock in the morning. We get into Oklahoma City and I get kind of freshened up, whatever it is. And then I go down to model call at six o'clock. So four o'clock, I get there six o'clock in the morning. I go down and I write a big name tag that says Kelly, like Kelly, sticking on myself. And I go down and I get a chance to work with Robert Cromie. It's backstage, I've been following for two and a half years. Like, ah, this is amazing. And I roll in and he's like, uh, you know, uh, and I said, my name is Kelly and you know, whatever. And I kept saying, my name is Kelly, my name is Kelly. By the end of the day, he's like, yo, Kelly, can you do this? Hey, yo, Kelly, can you do that? Hey, yo, Kelly, can you do that? I'm like, I got it. And at the end of the day, I was like, I wanna work with you. How can I work with you? He said, it's simple. You can pack your stuff up, move out to California. You can do, if you do what we tell you to do and you do it well, then you can stay. And if not, then you could pack your bleep up and go back home. And I was like, I'm in. And I gave him my card. Well, I get home, get back to the hotel because we stayed the night there to drive back the next day to be back in the salon. Get back to the hotel and I'm like, yes. I talked to Robert about getting a job. He kept calling me Kelly. He knows my name like, ah. And I look in the mirror and there's that big name tag that says Kelly. He didn't know my name. He read my damn name tag the whole time. And uh, so I was like, I'm in, this is it. I go home, no call, no call. One full year, no call. And I see him and a year later, I'm at the Atlanta uh, show and um, I see him and I'm like, hey, Robert, my name is, and he's like, I know who you are, man. And I gave him my card again. And um, uh, this October, what was it, or September 19th, I was on the way home from work and I was frustrated at that salon because I was working and uh, there was a little confrontation, whatever it was, and I was frustrated. And I remember this is the first time God audibly, like out loud spoke to me. And I was driving, I got to the, uh, um, stoplight on Walnut Grove and, and the 240 and I pull up to the stoplight and God says it's over and I was like and I looked around I knew no one was in my car and I was like and then he said it again he said it's over and I looked next to me and there was a guy in the car and I looked next to me and I was like I knew it was God by that time and I looked at the guy next to me and I was like God you must be talking to that dude because I'm mad at my job right now but my life is great yep. and he said it a third time and I was like, damn, it's done. And I went home and I told my mom and uh, she was like, start to praise him. And, I, and uh, she said, because praise unlocks the blessing and that he's in the midst of the praise of his people and that, uh, um, uh, that well, praise unlocks blessing that uh, he's in the midst of the praise of his people and to praise him in all things. So I went home and I wrote it down that day. I said, thank you, God. I got it in my journal at home uh, on September 19th. Um, I write it, thank you so much. October 7th comes and I'm hanging out with my, my girlfriend. She leaves my house. It's probably about 11 o'clock. Don't judge me. But about 11.15, I get a call, 11.15, 11.30. And the person says, can I speak to Kelly Cardenas? And I was like, why is my girlfriend calling me Kelly Cardenas? Well, it's not my girlfriend. It's Robert's wife. And she says, my name is Margaret Cromines and I need to speak to Kelly Cardenas. I said, this is him. She said, well, uh, uh, I wanted to call to see if you would uh, be interested in coming and being Robert's personal assistant. Dang. And I said, can you hold, please? Put the phone down, very calm. 
ran down the hallway, jumped on my mom's bed. Like, you know, remember uh, George Jefferson when he did Wheezy back and forth on there? I was jumping, he called, he's called, he's on the phone. Ah! And she's like, what the hell? And, but they had known about him because I kept talking about him. I had magazines I had followed him for two and a half years, but I never really applied for a job a year ago I had. So I go back in and I tell her, and, but see, God had been preparing me for that year. So I go and I, uh, I had to reschedule eight weeks of clients and a 45-person waiting list to go and apply to fly out to San Diego. So I fly out to San Diego and I'm sitting in this salon. I go through this hangout process, what they do. And she says, um, uh, you know, do you have any questions? I said, yeah. Uh, I said, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. And she's like, people have two questions. She's a redheaded Scotsman, uh, Scot Scottish woman. You don't mess with that. So she's like, time and money. She said, number one, you'll be here before anyone gets here. Um, and you'll leave when everybody is done. And number two, it'll be minimum wage. It'll be, you'll be on the salary for $200 a week. And so I'm making over $1,400 a week living in my mom's house. They're offering me $200 a week before taxes in San Diego, and I have to move across the country. So I'm like, she said, so what do you think? And I said, well, I need to pray about it. She said, why do you need to pray about it? I said, I need, I need to pray about it. But I was thinking I need to get out of here because this is only $200. So I go home, and on the way home, I'm asking God. I said, I said, honestly, like you have to show me, God, in black and white that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I got to my uncle's house, and I uh, just I opened up the word because I was thinking I was getting off on a technicality. Two of them. Number one, there's no Kelly in the Bible. Number two, there's no San Diego in the Bible. <laughs> so I'm good. I was getting off on a technicality. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm good. You ever, I mean, you pray yeah. to God like, okay, well, if you give me like a million dollars, I'll give you a hundred thousand. Well, <laughs> and if, even if you get the million, you're like, you didn't give it all to me at once. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I was trying to, you know, you negotiate. That is so funny. And I did that, and I said that, and I went home, and I opened up the Word and with my, uh, with my uncle, and it was in Exodus where uh, uh, God was taking Moses out of, uh, took the Israelites out of Egypt, and the Israelites started to get mad because they were, they were in the wilderness for so long. And the, the, the truth of the matter is, actually, and I don't know, I didn't know this, but um, that trek that they took was only the distance from Tijuana to Orange County. That was the straight distance, but they actually stayed in the wilderness for 40 years, mm. 40 years. Mm. So the people started to get mad and they started to murmur against God. And when they murmured against God, then um, Moses, he was leading them, but he was like, he started to get down too. And then he started to question God. And then God spoke to Moses. He said, I will redeem you without money. And that's what it said in the word. And I was like, you showed me in black and white. I'm done. So my, I called my mom right away and, and I told her and she's like, are you? And I was crying and she's like, are you crying because God spoke to you? I was like, no, I'm crying because I'm broke. I'm broke. Like I got to Like that's what he said. But I did the same thing that everybody else in the world would do. Right. I got back to Memphis and I was like, are you sure, God? <laughs> Show me one more sign. Yeah. And what he showed me at that time, he said, uh, when you're when you're born, you're issued a glass. And you put your attributes, all your accomplishments and everything in that glass. And he said right now at. 20, 20 years old, your glass is full. And you can walk around with that glass for the rest of your life. He said, but also that glass is really small. But if you give me that glass, I'll give you a bucket. And, once, uh, and that bucket will be empty. But once I fill it, then you'll never know how much that I could bless you. Wow. So I obviously chose the bucket. So you moved to California. How was that? Dude, I mean, I took a $62,000 pay cut at 21 years old. I mean, I moved into the hood. I was living on my own. I mean, you know, it, it was, I, I made $360 and 11 cents every two weeks after taxes. My rent payment was 560. 
So you're talking, I make $620 and uh, 22 cents a month and 560 of it goes to my rent. Mm. But it was, it was one of those things. Again, adversity mm -hmm. for me, it was just opportunity. Yep. So when I went and I applied, when I first walked into Roberts, I thought there was going to be a line out the door. He's the, you know, there's going to be Oprah outside. Everybody, you know, yep. I rolled into the salon. I swear to you, there was only one client in the whole salon. Wow. And I roll in for my interview and I'm like, God, I'm out like this isn't, but then God asked me, it's like 14 chairs that were empty and there's one, uh, there's like seven or eight people in the back room. And what God asked me, he said, if you had this opportunity, would there ever be a time where you'd be in that back room or would you be utilizing these 14 chairs to make your dreams come true? And the only person that was working on a client was actually Robert. And he asked me too, would you ever not be by his side? And the answer was real easy for I've been following this dude for two and a half years. I'll be standing right next to him. I'd be asking him, like I'd be kissing the hair before he cut it. Right. And um, so that was the, you know, so I you know, moved to San Diego and you know, it was, it was rough, man. Like, you know, moving, number one, moving away from my family for the first time, yeah, away from my mom. you guys were close. No money, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I emphasize that a lot, no money, mm -hmm. you know? And, but what God told me at that time is, I used to look at, <clears throat> I used to look at my parents, then my parents would direct me to God. And what, what the Lord let me know right then, he said, I'm gonna, it was my wilderness, right? So when, when uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he went into the wilderness, right? Uh, he went into the wilderness to be tempted during that 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, and um, God told me that San Diego was my wilderness. And he took away everything. He took away my money, my family. And he said, I don't want you to focus on your family. I don't want you to go into your dad to then have your dad tell me to come, to, tell you to come to me. I want you to come right to me. Because otherwise you're seeing your dad as an idol. Otherwise you're seeing your money as an idol. So he took everything away. And when he took everything away, then I was able to get focused on him. It almost sounds like a, a, a rite of passage too, like a, you know, a spreading your wings. Uh, I, rem I remember succinctly one of the most traumatic events in my life is when my dad dropped me off at college, you know? It was like, you know, I can get choked up right now just, just thinking about it, but you know, that, that's the only thing I can equate, you know, what you're going to, because you guys are so close. You have it so well. It's just super humbling, right? And, and, and again, it, it gets your connection back to your source, like, it's almost uh, like, hey, you know, now it's time, you know? Absolutely. It's just like, a, uh, you know, does that sound like landing for you? It was, it was tough. I mean, I mean, when I say it was tough, it, you know, you're raised in adversity. So it's just, it's just one of the things that you do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what, you, what you go about. And when he, when he told me the bucket thing, I didn't realize that he was going to teach me another lesson about the bucket. Because, you know, he asked me one time, like, God asked me, he showed me an eight ounce glass of water. And he said, how much water can you fit in the glass. And I was like, that's easy. It's eight ounces. Mm -hmm. He's like, look again. And I said, eight ounces. He said, look again. I said, eight ounces. And then he, he let me know that uh, all the, all the water in the world could fit in that glass. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, if you cut the bottom out of it, if you cut the bottom out of it, I can run every bit of water in this whole earth in existence through that glass. And it'll always be full as long as it's flowing in. But if you're trying to cap the bottom of it, then it's gonna overflow and you're gonna waste the water. So what he told me is with that bucket that I gave you, I want you to cut the bottom out of it. And the only reason why I'll bless you is so you pour it out onto other people. Mm. 
And as long as you're pouring out onto other people, I'll always keep your bucket full and it'll always be full with fresh water and you'll never have to worry about your own bucket. Yeah. Man, it's awesome. So tell me about your journey then with Robert. So I assisted for seven months, went on the floor as a stylist, was a stylist for a year, um, got uh, um, promoted to director of the salon. And then about six months later, I got the opportunity to move to, um, they asked me like on a whim, uh, what do you think of Vegas? And I was like, I think Vegas is cool. My best friend lives there. And three weeks later, I found myself, um, they basically, Robert, he speaks things to, into existence. So he talks to you like you're already doing what he wants you to do. And one day I, I had a meeting with him and he's like, so when you move to Vegas? And I was like, well, and I didn't want to stop him because it was an opportunity. And he said, when you move to Vegas, you're gonna be doing this. And then he turned to me, he's like, um, and you know, you're gonna be the director of the salon. And I was thinking, oh, I'm 23 years old, right? I don't have any managerial experience. Sending me to Vegas to open this thing at the Mandalay Bay. I'm like, what? You know? And then he's like, he turns to me, he's like, how much do you wanna charge for a haircut? And I was like, I don't know, let me pray about it. And God kept giving me my birthday, my birthday, my birthday, my birthday. And I was like, why are you giving me my birthday? And then he let me know. I was born in 1975. So I was charging $35 for a haircut. And I went back to Robert and I said, I'm charging 75. So from one day I went from 35 to 75. It changed my world. Because now, I mean, and God just said like, this is what you're gonna charge. And no one in my ever charged $75 for a haircut. Like what? I mean, it's 19, you know, 1999 and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, every client that sits down, I'm thinking if you would have came yesterday, you would have got this bad boy for 35, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it was that jump, but it was, it was just, and I believe that, I believe that all this stuff is, is, I believe that business is really simple, right? Business is nothing more than a series of small tasks done in a timely manner. So you go to Mandalay, mm -hmm. doubled your price. Yeah. What happens there? I mean, we started going nuts. I mean, it's hand over fist. It's crazy. It's like stuff that I've never seen in my life. Mm. You know, I mean, people going nuts. Like it was one dude rolls in and says he wants a perm because I had a perm at the time. It was like on pipe cleaners, right? It was Afro. He's like, I want a perm. And I was like, I didn't want to do the perm because it took too long. So I just said to him, man, it's probably going to, I mean, yeah, I, I do them, but it's like 1500 bucks. And at this time I'm like, there's no, I mean, I had never seen that type of money. And he's like, okay, cool. I want it. So I permed this dude's head, $1,500. The next day, no lie, next day he stops by. He's like, oh, I'm about to go to the pool. He goes to the pool because our salon was there. Goes to the pool. He hangs out. He comes back. He's like, yo, it was kind of hot outside. Uh, can you go ahead and just shave this? No way. But I charge him. So I charge him to cut his hair off afterwards. Charge him another $75 on top of the $1,500 that I just charged him the day before. This is what was happening in Vegas. It was the most decadent oh time. God. People were slanging money. And I, I mean, it was nuts. Like I went from, you know, uh, I mean, I more than doubled my production. You know, the highest week that I had ever done, you know, was like a $2,000 week in service. And I mean, my first week out in Mandalay, I mean, granted I worked seven days, but I did almost 3,500 in that, you know? So, so when we used to open the Mandalay, um, I, <laughs> Uh, we worked seven days a week for the first, uh, it was from April until Thanksgiving. Wow. Until we had our first day off. But again, adversity, opportunity. I didn't have anything else to do. I didn't have a girlfriend in town. I didn't have nothing. I didn't move to Vegas for anything else but doing this thing. And my dad always said, if you give them twice as much as what they pay you, you'll never be in their debt. Mm. But I think that people work in a different realm. Mm -hmm. They always think, 
I'm getting ten dollars an hour. I'm getting forty thousand dollars a year. I'm getting seventy-five thousand dollars a year. Well, if I'm getting seventy-five thousand dollars a year and I give you one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of service, now you're in my pocket at all times, mm -hmm. and now you see my value. Yeah. But I think that it's just an elevation of the mind, and then. If I give you $150,000 worth of service for $75,000 uh, $75, of pay, at some point, you're gonna pay me 150. And mm -hmm. when you give me 150, I'm gonna give you 300. Mm -hmm. And when you give me 300, I'm gonna give you 600. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, man. You know, but that's that, I mean, I think that that's where that mentality from my pop and my mom, my mom praying, my mom just making sure that I was just being Kelly and my dad, you know, doing the silly things like, I'll shade the dog myself, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. You call him the pit bull. Oh, he's hilarious, man. He, <laughs> you, gotta get, you gotta get my pop. My pops is, you, I mean. You gotta meet him sometime. Dude, he's a character. Is he? Yeah. yeah. He's awesome. So, you're crushing it at Mandalay Bay. Mm -hmm. Take me from there to Kelly Cardina Salon. I'm crushing it at Mandalay Bay, but I'm still broke in my mind. So I grew up broke, right? So we grew up broke. And so I still had broke mentality. I was making, I mean, by the time I was 25 years old, it was when I got in six figures for the first time. So this is a kid from high school, barely graduated, went to uh, hair school. And I'm talking like, you know, before I'm 25, before my 25th birthday, I hit six figures. That's amazing. You know, and so it's nuts. And I'm working a four day work week, you know? So, but I'm always scared that it's gonna go away because every two and a half years in my life, we always change residences. and always a catastrophe happened. So I'm ready. I always got my dukes up and ready to go because I know at some point this all is going to be taken away because I watched it happen with my dad year over year over year over year. Mm -hmm. So I'm making this money, but I'm broke in my mind. Mm -hmm. And it, that was a tough thing because I remember sitting in my second house and I'm sitting there and my brother looks at me and I look at him and it's a house that we've, I mean, neither one of us had ever been in a house like this and we're sitting there and we're like guys because I had the big screen TV and I had the couch. That's what you buy when you're a oh, dude and you buy your house. 26. So we're, uh, we, you know, we're sitting there. This was 20, 24, 25. Yeah, somewhere around there. So I turned to my brother. I was like, you think of what I'm thinking? He's like, yeah. And I was like, what are you thinking? And he said, at some point someone's going to come through the door and be like, just joking. It's not yours <laughs> because that's how we had grown up. Yep. So I, I, I still was broke. I still was broke in my mind. I was still that, that way. And then, you know, I, I worked for, it was, I was in Vegas for about 10 years or uh, 2000 or 99 till 2006. And um, I made a managerial decision. They didn't um, agree with it and they chose to let me go. And it was actually on my day off. So it's actually coming up. Uh, it'll be 13 years uh, on April 2nd. So we were watching the NCAA championship, mm -hmm. um, watching the game, barbecuing, and they called me and said, hey, you don't need to come to work anymore. Hmm. And no notice, we had no social media at the time, no client list, no nothing. So I got a house, I'm having a pool dug in my backyard. I got a G-Wagon in the uh, garage and they tell me, Job is done. And on top of that, uh, the company that I was working with that I was contracted to go and do appearances with and travel all over the country and do that stuff, which was my other job. So I was working four days a week and then they'd pay me to go and talk about what I did four days a week, how much I love my job. That company put me on an eight month cool off period because the company that I work for was affiliated with this company. Robert. So because he said, you're done, these guys said, well, you're done with us too. Wow. And they cut that off too, so I had nothing. And no one, all the people that I trained, 
um, everybody cut me off. Nobody talked to me. Only person that uh, stayed in touch with me was she was my girl. Or she was a friend at the time. Then she turned, turned to my girlfriend, and now she's my wife. Um, and there was two other people. There was a, a woman named Julie Compton, and then there was a um, a guy named Mike Maley. And Julie Compton said, "You can be mad, sad, whatever you want for 24 hours. Then you can get your ass up and go get a job." Mm. And Mike Maley called me and said, uh, "If you need any work." He was a uh, owner of the largest distributor, uh, independent distributor in the United States, and he said, "If you need any work, we'll make sure we'll make work for you, and we just want you to know that we'll we've got you." And to this day, it's the only distributor that I work with, and all of our salons buy our product from that one distributor. Wow, man, good for you. And I will for the rest of time, as long as I'm in the professional beauty industry, I will only ever buy from one distributor, and that's Mike Maley and his son Paul, because they were there for me during that time. Man, that's amazing, dude. So now you're you're out. Yeah, so I, I mean, so I lose my job, and then um, I mean, this is the way God works with me. He only shows me one option, then gets me committed, and then once I'm committed, then it's almost like he's like a. I think he's got a great converse, or, uh, he's got a great uh, sense of humor, and he uh, <laughs> got me committed. I signed the lease, all this stuff. I'd never done that before. None of my family had, and then God showed me all the other options I could have done. But what he does is he gets me committed, and then once I'm committed, then he backs off and he says, if I would have showed you all this stuff, you would have messed it up. Mm -hmm. So I only give you a one-track mind, and that's, I mean— that's my wife doesn't like that a lot because if I get focused on something like if I want a truck like I'm gonna look at trucks until I get the truck and then yeah. I'm gonna want a motorcycle you know so but the crazy quirks about yourself when you fall in love with them I believe that they'll be your best attribute and that yeah. was that was that you know and I named it after myself just because I wanted to figure out where I knew I could if I drove by that I'd be like wow that's where I go to work you know yeah. so you knew where to go and the only reason why is because social media wasn't there and if I put Kelly Cardina Salon on there, all my clients, if they looked it up, they could find it because I had no client list. They didn't release anything to me. So I walked away from a $250,000 a year business. That's what I was making at 29 years old, four days a week, Man. right? And so when I say I walked away, I didn't. I got fired from it. But mm -hmm. the only way that people could find me was Kelly Cardina Salon because like if I would have done like, you know, hey, uh, you know, sheer elegance or whatever, they wouldn't have known it was me. Yeah. So that's that's how the whole thing started. You know, I wow. never wanted to be a salon owner. I never wanted to be what, an entrepreneur. And where was the very first one? It was in Port Huron, Michigan. Okay. Yeah. And why Michigan? Opportunity. Okay. Right. So I did a speaking engagement for a woman, and she said, "Hey, I got a salon too," because I did a for her school. Her school people were excited. She's like, "I got a salon. What can you do?" And I did this. One of the things I had done, which was you pay me and I go and speak, right? So you pay me my fee. But I knew if her salon was in trouble, she couldn't afford me. So I said, there's three things I do. One of which I did, but two of which I was making up at the time when I was telling her, there's three things I do. Yep. Number one, you can pay me and come in. Number two, um, I can uh, come in and uh, take a percentage of the increase. So I consult with your business. And I said that generally this is what I do. And then number three is you could take my name. And if you take my name, then we'll be more of partners. I, you know I could get the people to work because you just saw what I did in, here, in there. And we'll be closer partners and we'll, it'll be Kelly Cardina Salon and that's generally what I do. And she chose option three and I almost pooped my pants. I would have chosen option three, just so you know. But You're I, a pretty infectious guy. Well, but I was making it up as I was saying yeah. it. And so <laughs> I, I got out of the car and I went to the restroom right away and I 
I <laughs> called my brother and I was like, hey, literally pooping your pants? No, no, but oh, I okay. called my brother, he's <laughs> my attorney, and I said, yo, I just, you know, made a deal for a salon. And he's like, what's the deal? And I said, I don't know, that's your job. I said, wow. but I got a girl, a woman to agree to it. And he's like, okay, so what's the terms? I said, I don't know. And he said, well, start at 50 and then, you know, 50% and then we'll, we'll negotiate from there. And I went back to her and I said, generally in these uh, situations, we do 50%. And she said, okay. And I about put my pants again. And I ran back to my brother and I was like, she said yes. And he said, said yes to what? And I said, well, you said 50%. He said, that's where we were supposed to start. And then we were supposed to go down from there. And I said, she took it. <laughs> so that's how Kelly Cardina Salon was born. Wow, man. Crazy. <laughs> so I never worked in that salon. That's crazy. It was in Michigan and I was living in, uh, in um, uh, what's it Vegas. called? I was living in Vegas. Yeah. But even before that, uh, I had a logo, which this logo, I had that made for 75 bucks. 21 year old girl, graphic artist. So she makes the logo and it says Kelly Cardina Salon, but I don't have any, uh, I don't have a salon um, and I don't even have a job. But Robert, two months after I, he had let me go, calls me and says, hey, I want you to come to New York. So I knew he was going to be there, and it was a charity event. It was Katrina Relief. So I had a bunch of shirts printed that said Katrina Relief Fund. So I go with this box of T-shirts that says Kelly Cardina Salon. Don't own a salon. Don't even have a job. Just taking a uh, playbook from when you took that T-shirts to the nine girls, man. There we go. <laughs> so I do that, and I go, and I know that every time Robert's around, then people take pictures of him. So I had purchased three shirts for myself because that's all I could afford. And I got the box of shirts that said Kelly Cardian Salon. And every time that I was right with Robert and someone went to take a picture, I would flash my chest because it said Kelly Cardian Salon. <laughs> and um, uh, he, uh, you know, in, three months later in American Salon, uh, two months later, in American Salon, uh, four page spread. And it was all of Robert, but who was standing next to Robert. And it said Kelly Cardian Salon. People started calling me and applying for salon that wasn't in existence. So that was during that time. People were calling me during the time when I was in Michigan doing that thing. And she had said that, you know, I want to do this. And, and I was kind of back and forth on the fence as far as if I was going to do it. This guy calls and, and I was like, uh, he said, I want to, you know, his name is Bo Boncutter. Now he owns his own salon and uh, very successful in uh, Austin. But he says, I want to work with you. And I didn't, I just wanted him to leave me alone. So I was like, the only opportunity I have, man, is in Port Huron, Michigan. Because he was from San Francisco, and I knew he was going to move to Port Huron. He was like, I'll take it. And I was thinking, oh, I hadn't even made the deal for the salon. So now i got to make the deal for the salon because i got to give this kid a job. Oh, my gosh, So, dude. you know, and so it was just, it was one of those things of, like, again, adversity, opportunity. And, you know, I went, and she said, what's the terms? Like, what do you generally? And I said, generally, which means that I'm making it up. I said, generally. I um, come in for 18 days as a startup, and um, you know I do the training, get everything set, and then I come in uh, four times a year, or uh, uh, four times a year for four days. So 16 days a year, I ink my first lot. <laughs> but I'm making it up as I go because I don't know. Do what you guys to do. see how happy he still is <laughs> about about this deal he inked? That's amazing, dude. That's amazing. So, you know, I mean, it was, one of the, it was one of those things. We had a lot of fun. She's a great friend of mine. Her name is Tina Black, and she's a great, uh, you know, she has salons now, super successful. I actually uh, coach her salons now. So, I mean, it's... So cool, man. But she gave me my start, you know? Yeah. And um, we did our first hair show at the... Because I, I was contracted to do a show with Paul Mitchell before, um, before I got fired. 
and I had to call Mr. Maley and say, hey, I can't do the show because I'm not with Paul Mitchell and they won't endorse me. And he said, and this was Pandora's box, seriously, opened up. He said, I'm not hiring you for Paul Mitchell. I was hiring you for you. So we are the first non-major manufacturer to be at the hair show, at the Midwest hair show, and we're there, and there's the likes of L'Oreal, Redken, Paul Mitchell, all these people, right? Everybody. And we're this salon that doesn't exist. We don't even have a salon. We just have shirts. And all of our models are doing the thing. And we're selling, and I, I sell shirts. So there was this logo and had a, it was like a print with a chain on it. And so we're selling them hand over fist. We can't even keep them. And the Paul Mitchell room, and ours is sold out. People sitting on the aisles, everything. I mean, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. But the Paul Mitchell room was completely empty. Mm. Empty. And they were next to us. And we're selling, well, they catch on to this. And you know what they did? They moved their merch table to outside of my classroom and started selling their stuff outside of our classroom. But they didn't, they wouldn't give us color because we didn't have any color to be able to do our models. And I had went into the room and I was like, yo, can you help me, you know, with this? And I need a little something. And all of them were like, no, we, it's our color. And so they didn't let me use it, but then they wanted to use my audience afterwards, which, I mean, I think it's great. I got a great relationship with Paul Mitchell. I'm still affiliated with them it today. It says a lot about you, man. But it's, it's one of those things of like, I never wanted it to be like a, mm, I'm gonna show you. It was just like, I mean, either like, I'm gonna do this thing anyway, right? Cause God's got a purpose. I'm gonna do this thing anyway. You want a part of it? Good. If you don't want a part of it, it's just gonna cost you more later. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. So. I love it, man. Man, well, I I can't tell you how appreciative I am just for you being so honest and vulnerable and carving out time for us. Man, the story is just so great. Um, you know, I l- let me ask you a couple other questions. Yeah. Now, uh, fast forward today, outside of wife and kids, because that's an easy layup, mm-hmm. what are you most proud of? The story is a success in the, in the company. You know, like uh, Sabrina Bias, she's five years ago, she was homeless sleeping in a car. Um, this will be for her first uh, year in six figures. So two years ago, she was making minimum wage and she's just about to get into six figures this year. Dude, um, that's so awesome. Selena Aragon that just called me, she's the director of our salon, director of personal development. Um, she started off as like a Jenny from the block girl with like razor blades in her mouth when she came to work, like I'll cut you, you know, and now she's this business professional who's coaching salons, coaching people and taking, she took one girl in her place. She was 24 years old, 24 years old. She did, uh, she worked a five day work week that week, but she did $10,400 in service in one week as a 24 year old. Man. Amazing. You know, so like th- seeing things like that, the stories of the people, like um, the Jen Moses, the Jen is, I mean, it's ungodly what she's, she was on three medications, anxiety, depression, and one other one when she started. And she has since traded in that for the success in her business. And she doesn't take anything now. And she's, uh, you know, she works on her fitness a ton. She works on her mind frame and she's constantly growing. And she's, I mean, now it doesn't mean that she doesn't still battle with those things, but she deals with them because of the culture, you know, within. And, um, you know, I mean, there's countless stories of, of those things, like a guy named Nando. I think he's the most successful person in our whole entire company because where he started. We were driving one time and I said, man, what's your goals? He said, I don't have any goals. I said, well, what do you want? He said, man, I don't need anything. I just need to be able to get by, man. And now, I mean, 
the kid is, you know, probably in the next two years, he'll get into six figures. And, you know, and this was a kid who was like, I just need to be able to make sure the bills are okay. And now he's, you know, he's bougie now, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's, <laughs> and it's one of those things where being able to see those types of, of success are, you know, are a, a huge thing. I mean, there's personal things for me. I mean, that I, that I, I love, like today I get a chance to go and speak and, you know, at a place, but the only reason why I get to speak is because I have the stories of these guys. I just go and brag about other people. You yeah. Know? So, man, it's really inspiring, Kel. What uh, what was your biggest challenge? I mean, you covered so many, but but like if you look back and you say, man, that one was hard. That was close. That was a close call. Like that one hurt me bad. That one went deep. What was it? My friend said to me, I called him and I said, man, you have the golden touch because he had a business that opened up. Um, and the first day he was profitable, which you know, nobody does that. Yeah. I'm talking first day. They, they profited. And I said, man, you got the golden touch. And he said, as quickly as I said, you got the golden touch, he said, no, I just keep touching. And what it helped me to understand is that the big break came from all the little breaks. But so for me, the big adversities in my life, they were all the little things. Yeah, man, it has been such a pleasure. Uh, talking with you, getting to know you. I really hope we can get to know each other better, man. Oh, you have to be my friend. I told you I'm the fortune to be my friend, man. <laughs> you know, I, I think so many entrepreneurs stop, you know, right before greatness is about to, to happen. And people have written books on it. But, you know, all of these hurdles that were thrown at you, uh, you know, you, you had the confidence, which I, I'm going to attribute to your parents. For, for giving you the security to be who you are, yeah. uh, uh, to keep going forward. And, and just the, the perse perseverance and the bravery, to, you know, I, I'd never, I consider myself a pretty good entrepreneur. I would not have halved my pay uh, probably to come out and work, work for an icon. So, you know, the fact that you did that, and just in my mind the whole time I'm thinking, man, where, what would have happened if Kelly didn't take that choice or that choice or that choice or that choice and now, you're an icon in your industry. You've earned the respect of, of your staff, uh, of, of your friends, uh, and it's an inspiration, man. I'm super happy to be here. I appreciate you being on. Thank you. Cheers, I appreciate folks. you, man. Thank you. All right, so one of my favorite podcasts uh, year to date. Uh, it was so fun being here today. Such a positive uh, person, so much that we can all learn, uh, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you know someone who should be on the podcast, please let us know. And if you enjoyed this today, please tag Kelly, uh, blast it out on your social media. We want to bless his life uh, and bless his business as much as we can. Uh, thanks so much for joining us.